well, it has been a long journey to be here. Yeah. It has been quite hard to find a spot in Porto for us to talk. So, uh, but I think that in the end, it's fitting that we find this place that is called the meditation room, right? Yes. So I think it's a great place to talk about spirituality, talk about to meditate in a way as we yeah. plan to do. So I want to thank you firstly, personally to you for all the effort you had in arranging with uh, the owner from here and also to Mana is where we are for giving us the space to have this conversation. Yes, Mana is a very special place. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for suggesting this idea. I was, I was going to say Mana is a restaurant, is a shop, I don't know what this is. Uh, I would call it a space, maybe after we can ask Sarah and Elder, but it's a, it's a coffee place that has a space in the back, this patio, beautiful patio that is right here next to us, uh, that we have yoga classes here. And besides uh, eating and drinking and practicing yoga, of course, uh, they have some uh, products that they have for sale here for example the all the books that are also mm -hmm. mostly related to yoga and to lifestyle and this is one of the reasons that i love this place that it's not just a coffee place and yoga and that's it it's it really focuses on the yoga as a as a wider concept than just um moving your body and exercising. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've been noticing that more and more these kind of spaces that are not pure restaurants and not pure yoga yoga studios are kind of appearing and merging. And I think it's a very fascinating. And we met because I came here as a class because we teach yoga here. And um, during the class, I was very impressed in, our, in your approach to yoga. Because one of the things that um, struck me was that it gave the impression that for you yoga was not uh, more no, was not really a physical exercise, but the way you conducted the class it made it look more like a journey. So I wanted to ask you, I was curious, what do you, how do you actually see yoga? Yeah, so yoga is so many things, and it also changed a lot for me. When I started doing yoga, I thought of it as something very specific, and now I think it's something completely different and I also expect this idea that I have to keep changing with time. So when I started yoga it was more about uh, the physical aspect of it. I didn't even know that there are other aspects of it. I used to go to the gym because I thought that's what people are supposed to do and then I didn't really see results and I didn't really understand that concept. I was just going there. So then I started doing yoga at home, just following some YouTube videos, and I loved it. I, I think it took me about two years to understand the, the wider concept of yoga, but still something felt like um, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So I started that, and then it was just a form of physical activity for me. But with time, I started understanding that if you spend enough time uh, not necessarily alone, but it can be alone or in a class, just uh, focusing on what's happening to you when you're moving. Uh, you, you can discover so many more um, sides of that yoga. So yoga is actually the, the meaning in Sanskrit, in the Indian language. Mm -hmm. It means union, which is also can be thought of uh, in more than one way. Union, it's like uniting 
maybe two things, maybe more than than two things, but it's definitely more than one thing that is uniting with another thing. And traditionally, the concept was more about um, uniting with uh, God or a higher uh, spirit. And these days, now that we live in the modern world and we have uh, different ways of perceiving ourselves and the world, uh, then you can look at it differently. So I see it as a connection between me and myself, the self. So this is for me, this is the union, that is yoga. And I uh, think that when I feel it the most, when I feel yoga the most, is when I'm at home practicing by myself without any other people and without any specific plan that I have to follow. I just try to listen to my body, my mind, and my soul, and allow it to take me uh, wherever I need to go that day, that time. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And uh, in, a, in a way, it's sad that in the modern world, we lost this connection to the higher God. God, not in really in the literal sense, but God in the sense, like in this abstract thing of something that transcends us. And, uh, well, I've been reading a lot about spirituality and religion, and I think there's a lot to, to go there, but that's a, another whole. What I found also amazing was that you said that it was a connection between you, you and yourself and that's yeah. something I was also thinking in my mind as we were saying that maybe it could be the connection between us maybe your physical body and your physical minds but when you say me and myself who are those two parts exactly yeah so this is a great question and I think the the answer is different for each one of us because each one of us has their own way of seeing the world and their own way of defining things so I consider myself to be a, not a different part of me, but a different side. So when I'm on my, in my day-to-day -day lives, I have a certain me that needs to function in society, needs to, to be nice to other people, needs to bring money home because things cost money. And uh, this is one me. And being different in certain situations doesn't mean that you're not you. It's just mm -hmm. a different side of you. And the self, the searching of the self um, can take years. And I think that sometimes you can find it and then lose it again and then find it again and it will be different already. But the self, I think that is something that is deeper than what we can use our mind to say that, okay, this is me. Like you can say many things about yourself. You can say that uh, you can state your name, your age, where you're from, but but there is more to to you than this. One way I think I can relate is that I, from what you're mentioning, the, the me is more like the projected identity that you have, because identity is something that is socially constructed, and you build your own identity in relationship to everyone else in society. That's why yeah. you said you have these different faces. In work, you have certain identity. At home, you have another identity. And that's normal. That's part. And I noticed that the self, maybe in my case, would be something like the idea I have of myself. That is, unfortunately, sometimes different than the idea I project of myself. So one thing is the idea I have of myself, and the other thing is my actions. Because others perceive you according to your actions. They cannot read your mind. So yeah. you are, your identity is built in the way that you operate in the world through action. And I noticed that, yeah, that the, maybe myself is also that, that idea that I have that is very different from 
from what I achieve. It's like what I want to achieve and what I think I am. And then I try to manifest that idea in the real world. Does this make sense to you? Or did you mention something like this? Yes, I think, again, I think everyone can define it differently. And I, I think it's, it makes completely, it makes a lot of sense what you just said. But actually, if you want, we can try a quick exercise to maybe meet the, the self, <laughs> if you want. Let's try. So uh, also, like, if for those who are listening, maybe you can try it as well. We can just close uh, our eyes and take about 20 inhales and exhales, which is for the most of us will be at least one minute. Mm -hmm. And then just see what happens with your eyes closed. So you can just close your eyes and breathe and I will tell you when it's time to open them. Okay, I'm closing my eyes now. And start to breathe. You can slightly let go of your shoulders and your face and really just focus on breathing and if other things are happening as well, that's fine. Keep your eyes closed, keep breathing just a little bit more. And you can take two more inhales, or if you already got to about 20 inhales and exhales, then you can stop and open your eyes. So this exercise we just tried, it's actually just one form of uh, meditation. Meditation uh, is just about being aware and trying to not let our mind to take us to other places. So maybe you can tell me how you experience this time of closing your eyes and just focusing on the breath. What else happened there? It's, it was a conflicting moment to me or conflicting minute or conflicting minute or period. Because usually when I'm having a podcast like this, usually my brain is very active and I listen, try to listen to the person I'm talking to and uh, I'm always trying to find out in the conversation so lines i can pick up and i can continue so i'm always trying to pay a lot of attention and thinking at the same time so it was so one part of my brain wanted to be that active and the other part was trying to go with what you were saying to completely relax and let go so i i tried to do it and the first seconds uh I was asking myself a lot of questions, but then after some period, I say, okay, just, let's just be in this moment, let go of the thoughts or not let go because you can never let go, but more like try to control them and not have them be active, but just trying to perceive what is around, what is around me in this case, maybe the sounds, myself, my arms, my shoulders, my face, and just try to be in the moment. Yeah. Nice. So was it hard for you to to let go of thoughts and to... You can never really let go of thoughts. 
I don't think you can ever silence your mind. And that's something that also struck me during your class that usually some teachers, they, or some people in YouTube or whoever you are listening to while doing yoga or whoever you are following as your guide or professor, I don't know what is a correct term. A teacher or yes, whatever you choose to call it. Okay. So your teacher, usually some people say that you should not think just be in the moment, but I feel that that is very hard. And one thing that you mentioned in your class was that uh, you tried more to steer the thoughts, more like maybe away from the normal life, the stress that we have every day, but not suppressing the thoughts, but having them focus on the moment. Yes. So like you're saying, it's really hard to not not control the thoughts. It's really hard to make them go away. And you're right. It's impossible to make them go away. Like if you will sit down to meditate or choose another pose, maybe laying down for meditation, whatever you choose, um, you will notice that the thoughts will keep coming up. Even if you manage to stay quiet for one minute, after a while something will happen and your mind will send you more thoughts. Your body will send you signals or uh, sensations. And that uh, third part, which is inside of you, that some people call the soul, some others will call it their inner child. I like to call it the emotional side of us. Uh, will also send us some signals. And we are used to acting in a specific way, so when your mind is sending you thoughts, it will be very hard to not act the way you're used to be acting. And this is what I think the intention in meditation is. You don't want to make the thoughts disappear. This is just your body, your mind, your uh, entire you is functioning. This is a good thing. But what you want to do in meditation is just try not to get carried away. Try not to have a thought and then automatically responding and maybe thinking, okay, I now have to follow this thought and maybe develop it to more thoughts and just lose completely the connection of where you are right now. Uh, and this is something that in yoga, is a, there's a term that is called chitta vritti, which is actually the... Um, the way that the mind changes. So there are five uh, different types of chitta vritti. We'll not get too deeper into that. Um, but it's just the way that our mind is working and we don't want to fight it. We just want to learn how to work with it. So the intention in yoga in general is just to be happier, be more calm. And it's not about trying to not be you or trying to stop the thoughts completely mm -hmm. it's just about learning how to deal with them better just like in life you don't want to have only good moments you will inevitably have also bad moments but you just want to learn how to deal with those better because if you have a positive approach and you know yourself well enough then you can go through anything and be more or less okay yes for sure that is really really important because especially in our society today we try to we tend to see only the highlights of other people's lives so we only see the positives social media does this television does this because you see the big actors you see them on the screen you see them giving the interviews after the movie is successful so we see only the great things about them 
but every single person has bad moments and every single person deals with failure and in success and frustration and uh, it's exactly as you said i think that one of the key parts of your character one of the most important characteristics that you can develop in your character is just not to get too confident or too hyped when you achieve something and not to be too disappointed when you fail at something so try to find some emotional level in the between that is moderation so because also and do not expect that everything will always go well because it never always goes well but at the same time it never always goes bad so yeah yes. always yeah if you say as if you keep a positive mind as you say i think great things can come but another thing that you mentioned like you 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 have this idea of steering the thoughts one one thing that was noticeable in your class and i enjoyed a lot personally was that even though as a teacher you were showing the positions to do you didn't expect students to completely replicate what you're doing and you made sure to emphasize verbally that it's okay to explore your own movements and go where your body takes you more or less this idea is this related to this idea of flow of ideas where you want the students to go in their own path that is not necessarily your path yes and it's it's nice to hear that this is something you liked but at the same time some students might not like that and this is just something to notice like if you like something or don't like something uh, it's just one more thing that you can learn about yourself so yeah i believe that uh, we each have our own way of moving we each have our own way of thinking and we each perceive the world uh, in a different way and that's why sometimes if you don't agree with someone's opinion it doesn't mean that you're not thinking the same maybe you're just defining it differently and it's it's possible that even just one word that someone else used is not you're just not feeling it and then you will not agree with the whole thing um, but yeah i think that in a yoga class um, we are built more or less the same as humans but uh, we all have uh, different ways of moving just even if you look just at your arm uh, you can move it in ways that maybe someone else can't uh, so it's very important to remember that you don't have to be something specific you don't have to move in a specific way and generally also in yoga there's no goal there's no real goal besides being uh, happy uh, besides just learning yourself and learning how to function in a way that is uh, the best for you. So, yeah, when we're practicing uh, in class, and I don't know, it's a headstand class, I don't expect everyone to uh, do that pose the same way, just because um, you, you can never know what a person is going through on that day or in which uh, part of their process they are. Um, let's say they're uh, someone like you that does uh, calisthenics, maybe some things are easier for you, uh, but you went through your process to get there. So if someone is uh, missing some part of their journey, uh, it's impossible to just jump to the next step and uh, also the journeys the the steps the order of things it's also it doesn't have to be the same for everyone 
like um, I always like to to tell my students that yoga is a wonderful way. I think it's a great practice that combines movement with breath and just noticing your mind a little bit and maybe your emotional side. But you can achieve the same uh, goals by doing other things. You can, for example, go swimming or running, which is something that you also mm-hmm. physically moving and you also have to be very aware of your your breath. And you can meditate or take some quiet time for yourself some in another part of your day. And you can achieve all of those goals maybe from different things. You don't have to choose yoga. But I feel like uh, personally, maybe I'm not completely <laughs> objective, but uh, I feel like it's uh, you have a benefit if you're practicing that, just trying to combine all of those components together. For sure. Uh, as you were speaking, I was recalling because I had also another conversation as part of the podcast with uh, Nina Brio that was from Yoga Mawono. You were talking about Alentejo and she's in Alentejo. She has her own big quinta or it's called Casa Mawono where she has a, she farm, she has a farm and she does yoga. And uh, I was talking to her and about her experience and what yoga also meant to her and one thing she said at some point as I was talking about my I think it was about awareness because I was telling her how I did handstands I, I felt like this awareness in my fingertips she's like she was something like okay that is important that is your way to achieve that I achieved that way through yoga and you achieved that way through something else and that made me realize that uh, it, uh, the exercise is just a means to an end I don't know exactly what this end is. Maybe it's the connection of the me and myself, as you said. Maybe it's the connection of, not a connection, but maybe it's becoming happy, as you also said. But I started to, that was when I really started to see, to see, to see it as more than exercise only. And that's maybe something that you also noticed when you started doing yoga in the commercial gyms that one way it's only exercise for them maybe it's only exercise but uh, there's also this mental state that you should achieve that you mentioned and um, yes uh, i was not sure i was going with this because again i have so many ideas and i got a bit lost in the process maybe i need to meditate to to settle down but um one one word you used was the physical body at some point during the class and physical body seems a bit of a contrary idea because every body is physical by definition so is there any body that is not physical yes so in yoga actually the um, there's some there's different uh, ideas and concepts but uh, like i told you there is sort of a dividing the self a person into a few different parts so you have your physical body which is that just in in this world and uh, if you believe in the concept of the soul it doesn't matter if you're religious or not uh, then you would uh, agree that the soul moves on without the physical body so this is why uh, you can look at the in yoga you have your physical body you have your um more of the the mind which is uh, also connected to the physical it's all connected but you can sort of uh, separate different parts in you 
to better understand yourself or and to have your awareness focusing on something specific because it sometimes can be too hard to focus on a wide idea mm-hmm. it's uh, it can be easier to just narrow it down to to one thing um, so yeah the physical body we all have our physical bodies and they uh, help us exist and help us uh, get along in the world and do whatever we we want and this is why in yoga sometimes it's easier to start with uh, poses something physical because people are aware that they have a body and sometimes it's easier to connect to the physical body so you can after that try to notice thoughts emotions and maybe some spirituality in a way in yoga sometimes it's uh, uh, separated into four parts four parts four parts the the spirituality the mind the emotions and And the physical body again different styles will define it differently um, but also I, I I have studied a little bit of uh, Buddhism as well and I really connect to that idea of trying to to separate the whole into parts because you know sometimes you you talk and we're not even thinking about that but you say me or you say myself or you say I And sometimes you th- you say I listen to myself or I am mad at myself and it just brings me to to think what is the difference between me and myself mm-hmm. why am I sometimes angry at myself what what is this self um, so again it's just a way of paying attention and yoga is so much more than just the, the physical aspect the asana asana is a pose in uh, Sanskrit and Um, and it's it can be easy to start with the physical part and then move on to other parts so maybe you have heard uh, before about the eight limbed path I have not which you have not so if uh, you practice yoga for a long time maybe you have heard of it uh, it just gives you other aspects of yoga so what we are all uh, familiar with the yoga which is the poses in yoga In uh, classes this is just one part of it um, in a style that is called Ashtanga it actually means uh, eight parts of yoga you have also the the parts of the the breath uh, breathing exercises which is called pranayama you have uh, sort of ten um, rules to live by that you just um, to make sure that you're a good person and you're not harming others you um, some things that you can find in many different cultures that are that are more or less the same so you have to study yourself to be aware you have to um, not steal not um, yeah not harm others and moving on you have other parts that are the meditation and eventually if you asked about the the end what is the end uh, the last uh, part of that path of the, those eight um, topics is Is called Samadhi in yoga which is uh, like Nirvana or um, enlightenment or something if whatever you want to call it which is the end but mm-hmm. I believe there is no end like when you get there it's just like another loop you you move on to the beginning or some parts in the middle again you never have an end and maybe that is a part of the journey that you're talking about. 
because the journey never ends. The journey is a process. It's not the the end goal. Yeah. Or actually, the the finish line is not the goal. The goal is the process itself. Is the journey. Exactly, and also in yoga, the the goal is not. Um, you can say that the goal is samadhi, this enlightenment, because this is where you want to get to. But there's no goal. You just have to walk on this path, and. Um, yeah, it's very interesting because also the I think sometimes people, uh, students come to classes and they want to uh, succeed in a headstand or being flexible enough. And this is something that also the, um, the uh, traditional yoga doesn't see as the goal. Uh, it's called the, the fruit of the practice and you should not practice to gain those fruits. You should not practice to gain flexibility or to succeed something so you can other and a different time show mm -hmm. it to your <laughs> friends and family. The goal is just to put yourself in many different situations so you can observe yourself in each one of them. So you can observe yourself in a headstand. You can observe yourself seated down on the mat. You can observe yourself just before you're going to sleep. This is just uh, another way of getting to know yourself which is the, the goal, in my opinion. That is a great way to see it. And it's also so great because I think it's absolutely correct. And it's an archetype of behavior, how to conduct. It doesn't tell you what to do. It tells you how to conduct yourself in the world in, a, in the most abstract way possible. And then, yeah, and then if you behave in that way, you get all these results. But if you change the results themselves, then maybe you lose lose uh, motivation quickly and i see that for example with if you abstract if you make the abstraction for example be uncomfortable be comfortable with being uncomfortable which in is which for some could be walk somewhere in the middle between chaos and order or if you think of the yin yang symbol you have the light that is symbolizes the order definitely everything that is stable in your life everything that is known in your life your safe zone and we have the dark part that can be seen as a chaos, which is the the part that is unknown to you, where you don't feel, where you there's where there's misery for you, and you don't know how to behave. And this is actually an idea I got from Jordan Peterson. He's a defense. He talks about this a lot. He's a, a very important philosopher, maybe one of the most important philosophers of our time. That he says that people should walk in the middle. So in the middle, so that you have one foot in your comfort zone and one foot in your unknown zone. Yeah. So you have the stability, but also the desire to to explore. And if you do this, like it doesn't tell you actually what to do, but as you say, it's more like if you behave in a certain manner in the world, then you will reap all the different fruits from from your actions, from your attitude, from your adventure. Yeah. So it's like it is life as an adventure. And maybe this is the, the topic where I wanted to get a while ago before I got lost in my train of thought was that until I came to your class, if people do ask me, do you do yoga? I would say yes. I would say I don't do yoga formally in the sense that I put on a mat and I lay down and I meditate. But I would say, yeah, I would do, I do calisthenics. I do I exercise a lot. And uh, during my sets, during my reps, in, the, in between, I stretch. So it's kind of like yoga. It's, I would say it's the same result as yoga because it gives me the same flexibility and mobility. 
But uh, after seeing your attitude and seeing your perspective, I st I'm starting to doubt this. I don't think it's correct anymore because the experience I had in your class was just not the fruit. I came closer to the idea of the process. So for me, your class was more like a mystical journey to, in a sense. Because I felt, I really felt, it was for the first time, it, it was very clear to me that this was not just physical exercise. This was a means to something else. Yes. Um, I agree with you, but I think I would get to a different conclusion. I would, I would think that what, what I'm thinking is that everything is yoga. Even just now you can lift your arm up and then you can put it down. If you pay enough attention, this is yoga. I, I think the difference is that in a class, when someone else is deciding what you have to do, and it's not you at home, it's just sometimes easier to pay attention and to not focus on the goal. Because if it's you deciding, then it's hard to, to know, okay, where am I going? Yes. So you focus on the goal, and then you know where to go. And when you come to a class, uh, it's very brave in a way. I think that students coming to a class, they have to be very brave to just really let go and to listen to something someone else is telling them uh, which is not uh, like I don't take it for for granted um, yeah but there's there's no again the there's no way to really define yoga because it can be so many different mm -hmm. things but uh, for me I had a I have a good friend that is also a yoga teacher and he always says that, if you only have five minutes to practice yoga, if you're a yoga practitioner and it's something that you're doing every day and on a specific day you only have five minutes, he says just do Shavasana, which Shavasana is the last pose, which you're just laying on your back, opening your arms to the sides and opening your legs a little bit also to the sides and just laying there and breathing and noticing. Um, and this is the most important thing that he says, and I, I agree with him, uh, because it's just about the paying attention. It's not about working your shoulders or your knees. Uh, you're just paying attention to the entire self, to body, your body, mind. to your physical body, and then your mind somehow connects to the body. Yeah, this is this is something that is hard to define. Maybe you'll just need to to practice it a bit more so you can understand it in your own language in a way not portuguese i mean your own language of andre um because it's just something you have to feel i think it took me about two years to to understand that yoga is more than just a physical exercise even though i knew it already i knew that i heard people saying that it's not just a physical exercise but i could not really understand it until i felt it until i allowed my thoughts to go far enough and until I learned how to control those thoughts and how to bring it back to uh, to where I was at the same time. Just something there's, you have to feel. There's a big difference between knowing and... Oh, well, no, oh, actually two words in my mind, but... I had the words in Portuguese, but now I lost them in the translation. <laughs> but there's experiencing. Yeah, that's, that's a big difference between knowing something and... Uh, like understand oh, that's the thing there's a big difference between knowing and understanding okay because we know many things but we don't really understand what they mean and sometimes we really need to go through that sometimes we need to make mistakes to actually understand them yeah 
so yeah. so I'm not surprised that your journey took so long but at the same time I don't think that for me five minutes would be enough because maybe for you who is experienced you know who has been thinking about this who has had a long practice then you, those you can you can abstract your soul in those five minutes because you already had all this preparation in your mind you know it's a time to settle down your body is ready your mind is ready you know what you're going to do and you can just let go and be in the moment but for someone that is not that has not had this path let's say someone like me one of the factors that i believe that was so important in your class was just to make to take this one hour just to go to a yoga class not to just stretch during two minutes between a set during whatever workout but to just okay say i'm gonna take this hour of my time i'm just gonna be here and i'm gonna i'm not gonna think about anything else yes I, I agree and I have to admit that when I started uh, just practicing by myself at home and after a while that I I understood the possibilities of yoga at least on the physical aspect um, five minutes were not enough for me like I had to I had practices like me at home by myself for three hours because oh. I felt like I have to do all of the different poses to have a real practice um, And I agree, maybe you just need to, you need more experience and to go through more things. And then after a while, you understand that you don't have to do all of it. <laughs> and and it was hard for me also when I started teaching. I wanted to do so many things. I wanted the students to go through so many things uh, before I understood that, okay, we cannot do everything. We have to choose some things. And, and it's enough. Like even one thing can be enough. When you say many things, is more like a workout that you have to... Uh, this, it's the vocabulary that is familiar to me, so sorry if I bring you to this terminology, but it's in the sense that, okay, you need to do A, B, and C, because A will lead to D, C will lead to this, and so on. So this whole structure, yes. this kind of planning that you had? Yes, yeah, so there's kind of a structure to a yoga class that if people want to practice at home, it's actually a good thing to know that... Uh, the first thing that you, you have to know is that yeah, each class ends with Shavasana. And uh, I like to I like that fact because also I feel like each life ends in the same way where the Shavasana actually it's the corpse pose. This is the meaning of it. You're sort of imagining that you're dead and really just letting go of everything, including your physical body and just trying to observe. Uh, so I like the fact that we can all do different things in our life or in our practice, uh, yoga practice, and eventually we're ended up in the in the same place. Um, but usually you start a class by or a practice at home, just focusing on your breath. So it's just um, uh, a way of connecting to yourself, a way of not doing this transition from your day-to-day -day life into just sitting down and not doing anything because it's really hard. Sometimes it can even be hard to just try to close your eyes just like that in the middle of the day um, or whenever your practice is. And then you focus on the breath and then you start with um, sort of warming up, which is, uh, I don't really like to call it warming up because it reminds me again of just like the gym or usual normal sports. Uh, I feel like it's a matter of connecting to your physical body. Just like imagining that you're, you have a child and you take it to a day, like, I don't know, to travel somewhere. 
you're not just taking him or taking that that child somewhere and just doing everything without telling him you want him to be aware you want him to be you want to be together with him on that thing so for me it's not warming up it's just a matter of connecting with your body and telling it hello this is what we're gonna do right now and then your body is saying hello this is what I'm able to do right now or today and then you sort of connect and just uh, make sure that you have a smoother practice that you're not gonna push yourself or push your body into places that it cannot go today and the pushing part is also actually very important because this is something that only you can know I cannot as a teacher I cannot come to you and while you're doing warrior two and say and I come on please do do better or do more or try harder um, I don't know if you can try harder only you can know and only you can tell if in that specific moment you need to try harder you need to maybe push yourself or even be sort of aggressive with yourself or maybe it's the opposite opposite maybe you need today to be um, more relaxed more kind to yourself this is uh, again it's just a way of knowing yourself knowing your comfort zone maybe your comfort zone is to push yourself and maybe it means that you have to take a step back so as a teacher that does not know what each student is either thinking or feeling or what is their limits because as you said the limits only we only each person knows its own limits so how do you try to conduct a class in a way to unlock this so it's a great question <laughs> a question that i'm still asking myself every now and then because um When I have students that I do know, of course, it's easier for me to to know their limits. And then sometimes I get to a point where, yeah, I do know their limits maybe better than they know them. Um, but still, I believe that it's not my place to come and say, you're you're cutting yourself slack today. Maybe try, try a bit <laughs> harder. Uh, because, again, this is just another experience that you have to go through. Um, maybe if you will... Be too gentle with yourself uh, for a longer time. You will just discover that you're not getting anywhere. And this is just, this is yours to, to learn. Um, but yeah, in, in a class, usually I just have to notice the, the students, notice how they're doing in the poses, maybe noticing other things that... Um, for example, when you sit down in the beginning of the class and you breathe... It's pretty easy to notice which ones are struggling with just breathing and which are the ones that feel very comfortable by doing that. Mm -hmm. So I can tell you about myself, for example, when I started and I went to classes, it was very uncomfortable for me to just try to sit down and do nothing. And I'm not a very, I'm not an extremely uh, active person, so I would expect it to be different. Uh, but that's how it was for me. And then it was a sign for me that, okay, I need to do that more. I need to meditate more because this is what I'm struggling with. It's like, I like to call it like uh, you have an open task on your app. Mm -hmm. Like when you feel uncomfortable with something, it means it's a signal that this is a topic that you have to work on. Uh, so I felt in the beginning that I was very comfortable with the physical part. Uh, but not so comfortable with uh, not doing 
not doing anything. It's not really not doing anything, but that's how it felt to me. So I knew that was that the was something I had to work thing on. Is I think the hardest is knowing that you have to work on something. So I think that the hardest the hardest thing about solving a problem is just assuming or acknowledging that you have a problem. And if you so, it's like the first step. The first step to any resolution is identifying and say, okay, we have to work on this. And uh, you mentioned that when you start uh, yoga, you are you sat down and you were uncomfortable. You said, okay, I need to work with this uncomfortability, or I need to become more comfortable in breathing. Yeah. So, do you notice that when the students come into your class, they already have taken this step? They already know that they need to work on something, or do you feel they are exploring still and realizing that they need to work on something? Uh, some of them, but anyone at any given moment has to work on something. Like like we said, it's it doesn't really end. Like even now, I don't know how you perceive me. Maybe I'm for you. I'm I'm a teacher, so maybe I know everything. But I'm also a student. I also practice by myself at home, and I notice what's hard for me. And maybe sometimes now it's not so much uh, like a pose is difficult or the breath is difficult. Maybe it's just um, when you're quiet, you have your thoughts and your emotions. Maybe it's just an emotion that I'm having a hard time with. Maybe I discover that I have a hard time dealing with um, stress or I don't know. Everybody has a hard time with that, but some people are able to to push through it mm -hmm. and to be okay with that. And some are just avoiding this emotion yes. or this situation yes. completely. And this is actually another term uh, in yoga that is very important, uh, in my opinion, that is called uh, samskaras. Samskara is like an, uh, an impression or experience you had um, that leaves uh, some kind of, uh, leaves something with you. Each experience you're going through, you learn things. Maybe you're not, you don't notice it, but you learn things. You learn if you did well or not, and then it affects the, your behavior in the future. And uh, samskaras are the loops that we're getting into, those patterns of behaviors that we're getting into um, after having a specific impression and learning something. So maybe... I don't know, someone who was um, in school, for example, you can uh, say something uh, when the teacher asks you something and then you are saying something right or something wrong and maybe the other kids uh, laugh at you and maybe you learn that, okay, I'm not, maybe I should not speak in public because people might laugh at me. And then you forget about it, but you move on for the rest of your life and you just have this knowing that, okay, speaking in public might be bad, so I'm not doing that. Maybe you don't even remember why you started doing that, but these things will keep coming up uh, throughout your life. Uh, so this is another thing that I feel like is very, like it's fascinating to just try to learn your your patterns you and to work on them. Do you think these things come up while you meditate? Yes. Is, is that it? Yeah. And maybe you can also, f when, when we were breathing, like before, just having those uh, 20 breaths, uh, just breathing and closing your eyes, maybe you notice that your mind or brain tried to take you to the same place again and again. 
So for example, now you're, you're doing something, you're not just here talking to me, you have to worry about sound and everything. So maybe your mind kept taking you to one place over and over again. This can be a, a pattern. But it can be something more complicated than that. Maybe something that you will need uh, to experience one thing more than once to even be able to notice that. I think so. Um, well, that's there's there's I think there's several layers to that. There's an immediate layer of things that worry, which are things that can happen in your everyday life. For example, as you say now, the sound, the the video in the back of my mind, I'm always worried that something will go wrong. <laughs> yeah. Because it has gone wrong in the past for me, so I have that little bit of bad experience or I'm, I'm trying or I'm trying to be aware of that or to minimize the error. And then I was also talking to another person close to me the other day and uh, she was, she said something that made me really think about it for some time that uh, some, sometimes you have emotions that, uh, or sometimes people have emotions that are coming from unresolved trauma and these things we're not aware of. So the context was more or less like you're experiencing this because maybe you didn't think about it enough because some of you had this happened in your past and at the time you didn't really understand it. You didn't really process it. And because your mind was, did not make its peace with that situation. Now it's still coming. And for example, it's making you cry, even though that you're like, for example, crying and you don't know where the tears come from. But in the back of your mind, in the, at the subconscious level, at the deep layer of your consciousness, it's still there. Yeah. Yeah, it's something like that. Again, there there are different ways of defining the, the same things, but I, I agree with you. I think this is something that sometimes we're aware of the trauma that is happening, and trauma doesn't have to be an injury or someone attacking you. It can be just a very uncomfortable situation where the, the class or some just one kid is laughing at you. It can be something like that. Or it doesn't even have to involve other people. You might have, uh, like me, for example, I don't like to forget things. So before I leave the house, I just have this habit now that I'm aware <laughs> of. I will just take like five minutes, which is too, too long, to just look around and make sure that I didn't forget anything. And I'm not really sure why it happened, but I guess that sometime during my life I have forgot some things and then I, I went to work or something like that and I didn't have those things and I was just mad at myself for not having <laughs> those things. It doesn't have to involve other people. It's just something that I learned, oh, this is uh, a place that I don't want to get to again. And those are scars. I also have some of these scars. For example, I've left house a few times without my key or my key was inside the house. Yeah. And then you close the door and you have this feeling that you knew, you know that you fucked up and <laughs> you're in a bad position. And I noticed that now, every time, every single time before I leave my house, I stand at the door with one foot in the door before it closes. I touch my pocket to make sure I have the key. <laughs> and then I say, okay, it's here. Even if I know that 20 seconds earlier, I put it in the in some backpack. I st always have this reflex. To, okay, let me make sure again, because I don't trust myself. I know I will forget something. <laughs> Let's yeah. make sure everything is okay. And yeah. it's a, a behavior that, yes, yeah, stays with us from this trauma in a way. 
So exactly, that's that. It's just patterns and it doesn't matter where they're coming from, but the important thing, thing I feel is to just uh, notice them because it's just another way of you getting to know yourself. And if you know that you have this pattern after you have noticed it, which is like you said, the first step, uh, you can think about if it's if you're benefiting from it or not. And if you're not benefiting from a certain habit that you have or something else, you can then after choose to maybe change it. Um, you don't have to keep doing the same things if they're not good for you. Uh, and same thing goes to yoga. Uh, sometimes, and it's, it's really easy to practice at home and just keep doing the same things over and over again. Um, but it's also good to try new things just to yes. test yourself in new situations, not really testing with, with grades, just to test yourself to, to observe. Do you know Wim Hof? Yeah. Did you, how much do you know him? I, I don't know him personally, but I tried a lot of, uh, his, uh, breathing exercises and I learned a lot about his, um, what's behind his method. And, and again, this is what I told you, you can swim or run, you don't have to do uh, yoga. But the meditation, I think that is important. And you can do, there are so many different meditations. There are meditations that are, you can call them proper meditations, which is just you sitting down with nothing in the background and just allowing yourself to get lost and mm -hmm. find it yourself again and get lost and again and again. And there are meditations that you are um, like guided meditations when you listen to someone else. And a yoga class is a form of actually guided meditation because you're listening to someone else. But you can also have a walking meditation or a running meditation. So to me, Wim Hof, a lot of his, um, a lot of the components of his method is actually meditation. When you get into cold water and you feel those cold water and you feel that it's uncomfortable, Uh, you usually just want to escape physically or in your mind. And just staying in this uncomfortable situation is, is, is the, the real thing, I feel. Yes, it's one of part of learning to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and mm -hmm. just not seeking always be hot. And uh, one I tried, I don't have much experience with the Wim Hof method, I must confess, because at least for me in Portugal, it's hard to come across like really cold water. Like really cold, like minus or not minus, but below 10 degrees or something or even negative. Uh, I had this experience in Finland, for example, where I remember last year we spent a New Year's Eve in an ice lake. In a nice, really nice cottage with a sauna by a lake and the lake was entirely frozen. It was the end of December and the Finnish people have, Finnish people love sauna. Uh, I think sauna is even a Finnish word and they have this habit of having small, very small houses with just a living room and a sauna and there's just right next to the lake. So you can actually leave the house, walk in the frozen lake and then they make holes on it. They put some candles around the hole and you imagine the scene at night with some candles around the hole so, and you just go and you go right inside the frozen water. The, well, the water is frozen on the top layer and of course and it's very cold below. And um, Then myself, before I would do this, you're like, oh, you're crazy, you're going to this freezing water, you're got, not going to stand there for any time. But when I did it, it's such a wonderful experience. As you say, you go and you, you feel this water in your shoulders and 
there's this instinct to kick you like run away get out of here what are you doing why are you here go away go to we'll go back to the sauna to the warm place but another part if you just push these initial thoughts away another part really tries to be in a moment and be aware of your body in a way that is not uh, normal or not usual but yeah this was just okay this was just a little detour what i practiced most in portugal was the briefing because one part of his method is correct me if i'm wrong was just to lay down and take very deep breaths i think hold hold it as well right i and think also grow, yeah. And I did it. I did this for some minutes. One and one sensation I got was that it's like your body starts, your mind starts to leave your body, and you feel a tingling in your limbs, in your in your fingers, and you have a very weird sensation in your body. And, uh, and that's a very meditative because it really changes the way you think. It changes the way you perceive your body. And I noticed this in your class as well. It was the second time I had this, maybe because of the briefing, maybe because of the long pause. I think that also one important factor was, as you mentioned, the, the guidance of a teacher, having someone that can guide you where you have to go and you don't have to actively think so you can more easily let go and just have this voice come through your ears and tell you, and by the way, a very really nice voice, a very soothing voice. So Thank it's you. wonderful to listen to you. And uh, maybe also, I think also the music played a part because you, you put a really nice music, really soft, but it was very in, in the atmosphere and music has this effect to induce altered states of consciousness as well. So maybe all the factors together, but, uh, but yeah, I just wanted to say like, I felt really this tingling and you're, you feel your body in a different ways and you can really let go of certain things and, and try to meditate to deeper levels. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. Breathing is a, is a great way of doing that. And, and yeah, most classes, like I told you, start with just noticing your breath because usually when you just go to work or walk down the street, you don't really notice your breath. You're doing it naturally. And when you notice your breath, uh, then you can work with it. So usually you'll hear teachers in the beginning of a class saying that connect to your breath. And whenever you feel uh, unsafe or like something is wrong or just need a moment, you can always reconnect with your breath to, to go back to that zero state to just sort of start again and feeling safe and then going and doing the, the rest of the things. Um, but yeah, lots of different like cultures and methods, uh, focus on the breath just because it's something that is very, it's like, it's right here. It's hard to yes. ignore. If you start to notice, it's really hard. It gets hard to, to ignore. And, um, about music, actually, I just wanted to mention that, um, there's a book, uh, it's actually in Hebrew. I'm, I'm from Israel, so uh, I read it in Hebrew. And uh, it was written by a yoga teacher that she talks about many different uh, situations in, uh, in yoga, in, uh, in the practice. And actually she mentions that uh, the music is just um, an interaction, uh, sorry, a distraction. And she prefers to, to not have classes with music. Ooh. And I love to have music in my classes just because I feel like it's, uh, it helps you get to, 
sort of where you should be, even though you shouldn't be anywhere, but it helps you get in the right mood. Um, but I agree that it's a distraction. And when I practice by myself, I usually practice without music. It doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. Just I feel like after a while, you want to challenge yourself more and more and more just to, again, experience yourself in different situations. So music maybe can be a shortcut for you that after a while you don't need it anymore. You can get there naturally. Yeah, I don't think, I don't agree with music being a distraction because music is really powerful at levels that are not consciously aware to us. There's a reason that... There's a reason why Greek plays the classical works. They had music. Now, nowadays, you only have the text, for example, of these class classical works like Oedipus, and uh, we are missing the music. And the thing, the fact is that the plays are not the same with the music or without the music, because the meaning is different. That's the that's the important thing. Like uh, the music carries us to perceive the world in a different way. It's a shortcut, exactly as you mentioned. Yeah. So a shortcut is not a distraction because maybe you can take the long route to go to the same destination or maybe you cannot reach the destination without that shortcut. So it's not really a shortcut, but maybe a different path. I'm not sure. Exactly. I, I feel like it's a, it doesn't mean that I'm right, but I feel, I agree with you. I feel like it's a, Maybe it's a, in class, maybe it's a shortcut to, to get everyone to the same level of, okay, we're starting the practice. Uh, but in real life, it's, yeah, it's just another experience. So if you have music when you practice yoga or if you don't have music, it's just uh, two different experiences. And you can benefit from each one of them. You can benefit from the one with the music and the one without the music just because you're you're ha going through a different mm -hmm. thing. And anyway, if you, even if you will try to replicate exactly the same movements, the same music, the same space, the same time of day, uh, it will still be something different every time. You're a different you, you, have, you accumulate more experiences, you have different thoughts and different ideas every, every moment, actually. Maybe after yeah. this conversation, I hope you will have some new, new thoughts. Um, so it's just, it's different every time. Yeah, we're in a constant transformation and even interaction, just talking to someone changes us. Yeah. It changes our brain, changes what we think, hopefully, if you're open enough to let yourself change, yeah. which is not always obvious, but yeah, that's, uh, that's an expected step. You mentioned that you're from Israel, yes. and, uh, which I knew, of course, already, but uh, I was wondering about that because the idea I have, at least about Middle Eastern countries, is that they are very spiritual. I would normally use the word religious here, but uh, in my small worldview, I will, I used to connotate religion with monotheistic religions. So Catholicism, Judaism and so on. And I've started, I've, I would say educated myself more and started to open my perspective that religion is much broader and much older than these monotheistic religions. And that part of the world where you are from is where many of our religious ideas come from. And religion is in a very broad sense, more like in the spiritual sense, like our connection with something higher. One God, many gods, and like a connection to the transcendent, something that is higher than us. And uh, I was wondering how 
what was since that country of the that part of the world is so spiritual and since yoga or at least from your perspective that yoga tries to connect the self to this transcendent to this journey to the mystical some somewhere that is beyond or ahead of us i was wondering like how how much did your origins influence the way you think about yoga specifically i think it's inevitable that each one of us are um, from from birth uh, actually things are affecting us and so i i do believe that I might have been spiritual also if I grew up in other countries, but yeah, it's it of course it has a direct connection to the fact that I'm I'm from Israel, and um, yeah, I think that most of my life just because I grew up in such a religious country, not in a religious place at all, like I was not uh, religious at all. Um, I think I was always a bit afraid or uh, trying to to step back from uh, the word spirituality just because I thought it was the same. And I never considered myself a spiritual person and I didn't want to be a spiritual person. But now I feel like um, being from from this place, I can now see more clearly. And again, this is just my opinion that spirituality and religious are not the same like religion maybe is um is another loop another habit that we have like we want to be spiritual so we're being religious and just do the same uh traditions again and again i think you it's about having the intention so if you're religious and you have the intention and you have the awareness that's great but if you're just taking that shortcut again Uh, doing some things that you're supposed to be doing to connect to God or to something mm -hmm. else, uh, I feel like it's not real anymore. And um, I feel like now I know that you can be spiritual without being religious. You can still be religious. I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, but I do think that it's important to still have yourself... like Okay, you can have the guidelines of a religion or the specific religion, but you still need to have yourself because if not, you're just following instructions and not really feeling something. So it have definitely affected me a lot. <laughs> just to make sure I don't say something wrong, what is the main religion in Israel at the moment? What uh, you grew up with? So the main one is uh, like uh, being Jewish. Most people are Jewish, but there's uh, like almost half of the population is uh, Muslim. And there are ma many other different uh, religions, just uh, more like of a minorities. Um, but yeah, it's. Um, I have to admit that it's something <laughs> that I don't really feel comfortable to think about and to talk about, uh, just because yeah, it's it's an example for me of how religion can take you for like to the the wrong side of of being yeah. spiritual. Uh, for sure and uh, it's very hard to have this conversation as two modern people like two people that were born in around the 2000s because for maybe 2000 years we have been told that to be to be religious is to believe in these monotheistic religions and that's actually not true That's not true. That's not what the human experience has been. And one of the great discoveries that I had in recent years has been the 
expansion of, of the scope of religion to much, much older. Because before these monotheistic religions, humans were, well, humans were always spiritual and people were, were always religious. This is something that is as old as we are, as we have a conscience and as old as even before our species. So this is something that is, and so, when something manifests itself in many places across time, it's because it's true or because that's a really deep meaning to it. It's not something that someone made up in a, a specific context and just tries to convince everyone that it's true. But if something emerges spontaneously in several spots or across in several moments in time, then it, there's a really deep truth to it. And being religious or being spiritual or believing in something, it's is an aspect that every single population that we know of that has existed in the human history has manifested. And I was saying it's hard for us to have this conversation because my instinct few, until recently is the same instinct as yours. Like you say, oh, religion, I don't want to go there. I don't want to believe because the what we have been told is that to be to connect to this transcendent, let's call it God, you have to do these rituals. In Catholicism, you go to the church, you have this very specific structure of uh, mass and you pray and now you say this and now you say this and then you walk and you take this thing in your mouth and that's supposed to be the body of Christ. So you have these very specific rituals. But the truth is that before this Christianism, Judaism, the spiritual experience was much looser. In that's still the leftover of that is still in Nordic cultures, for instance, in Finnish spirituality, they still have a big connection to nature and they try to see this transcendent, these calls in the several little things of nature, in the little elves in the forest. Yeah. And, but the main thing is that before the ban of, I won't, I'm going to mention the Catholic Church because I don't know so well about what. Islamic cultures did, the Jewish did, but it's probably the same. Like before this ban on drugs, the human religion was deeply connected to the use of psychedelics. And psychedelics were another shortcut to make, to release the soul from the body and to make us connect to something higher than us. So it was the main message that I got from the shamanistic cultures from the shamanistic religions of the past, from South America, from North America, also from Africa and from Asia, which is basically to say from everywhere around the world that we know of, every single continent had these sort of experiences that were ways to transcend consciousness and to, and really to connect to something. And that was, that was the, the important was not the ritual. The ritual was just a means to something. It was, it was a journey. It was a journey that each person had and um, it was individual and it was very, very impactful because, for example, the Greeks, the old Greeks, the ancient Greeks, they had these journeys still. They still had access to psychedelics because it was the fourth century before Christ. And uh, there was in their society at their time some politicians they okay so they they had a ritual that the most 
the most the, the most educated people in ancient Greece they would go to this specific place once a year and they will have a mystical experience there. They will talk to an oracle. They will they will take maybe take some substances, maybe play some music, and they will have uh, a religious experience. It's in the true sense like a religious spiritual experience. I don't know how to distinguish the two words. I know you said that spirituality was above religion, but I don't know how to distinguish. No, it's just a matter of how you define it. Yeah. So let's say they had this experience, and at some point in time, and they they do this since forever. Because the owner knows where it comes from, they were just doing this. And at some point in time, someone said, let's tear this place down. This place is no longer necessary. And the reaction was so strong. And some authors really said that if you take this down, you take like the good of humanity away. Because they, they knew that it was just not an empty ritual. And the part of the empty ritual that you are opposed and that I wanted to express and it has been a long detour and a long speak from my part it's been this the, the religions of the last 2000 years these monotheistic religions they were built upon this 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 real this more spiritual religion but they took for example the psychedelic part of the potion of the Eucharist in the Christian uh, in the Christian ritual let's say they took the psychedelic part they took actually the the part that would connect us to higher and they just kept the ritual without any meaning itself, just a theoretical meaning, but it was not, it was not actually meaning that something, it was not, yeah, it was just a meaning, it was just words, but it was not actually something that you act and that you feel. So maybe that's where the emptiness comes from. And that's why it was hard for us to, as modern people, to have this conversation, because we are, we have these rituals, but you are actually disconnected from the, the state or the journey that these rituals were supposed to induce. Yes. I, yeah, again, so it's a matter of, <laughs> no, <laughs> thank you. It was actually really interesting and I, I have to admit I'm not an expert of most of the, those things. I don't know a lot about that. And like I told you, I was trying to, I was trying to move away from religion for most of my life just because, yeah, I don't know why I had this idea that it was something bad. These days, I don't think that. I think that you can be religious uh, you can follow a specific religion and be very happy and have a really good life and also do good for others. Uh, it's just a matter of how you're doing that. And this is why I feel like you can be spiritual with or without religion. Uh, I feel like when I practice yoga and I feel a connection to myself, I feel the spiritual side of me. Um, so... I don't know, maybe some people will say that a connection to yourself is not a real connection or not a real spiritual connection, but um, again, I think it's about how you how you feel. And um, you were mentioning uh, psychedelics a, a, lot, a little bit before, and again, I'm not an expert, but I, I think that it's another shortcut. It doesn't mean that it's yes. bad. Maybe this is your, it's a part of your path. But I feel like we can get uh, anywhere we want with those substances or without. Maybe it will be harder, maybe it will be longer without, um, but it's just a matter of awareness. Um, the shortcut is exactly the right word. Because yeah. this, uh, well, again, this is a topic that might be difficult to, to talk about because different people have different perceptions. And nowadays, psychedelics have been equated with drugs. And drugs have been equated with party drugs. Uh, 
-hmm. like something you take, have some fun, yeah, and then you have to day you someone new, and that's be seen as bad. But the way I mentioned psychedelics was more in the ritualistic sense. So something you take in a specific setting, for example, with some music, with a shaman, or so, or with a spiritual guide, something that is very controlled and there's actually a meaning to it. And that, as you said, like it's really a shortcut to induce something in your consciousness so that you learn something that you didn't know before. Yes. So just to clarify what I mean by psychedelics yeah. in this perspective. Oh, I no, I completely agree. And again, I don't think it's a bad thing. It depends on who you are and what you need at the same, that moment that you're experiencing. But yeah, the, the ritual is, uh, it depends on where you take it to. It can be spiritual or not. You can just do it to, to get it over with. Um, and some people might look at me that I practice yoga almost every day and I... Uh, take out my my mat and I put it on the floor and then maybe I take a few breaths and then I I have a ritual so maybe some people would look at that and think I'm religious and <laughs> it's not it's not not mm. true um, not not true yeah it might be true so there is some for truth them. to it uh, each one of us has their own truth so maybe yeah maybe to you if you would look at that and say oh it's like religion being like being religious um, that's true, but I think it's about the intention. I, I felt like if you're, if coming back to, to talking about Israel, I felt like being religious is, um, doing something for someone else and being spiritual is doing something for yourself. Uh, so again, you can define it differently, but that's how my sense, my logic is working. And that's what makes me feel good. Like if I'm doing something without understanding it and I'm doing it for someone else, I will not benefit from that. But if I'm doing something because it feels right for me, then I will benefit from that. And that makes it right for me. What could be doing something for the others that is not for yourself? What would fall into, under that category? Um... Well, it depends if you're asking me or asking yoga. No, I'm asking you. Of course, I'm talking to you. <laughs> so uh, in yoga, there are, uh, like I told you, besides practicing the asanas, which are the, the poses, there are other aspects. So you have to, you, ha you have those 10 rules, uh, maybe more, but officially you have those 10 rules of um, five of them are how to... Um, behave with others how to behave in society and five of them are referring to how you should behave with yourself so one of those things of how you should behave with yourself is uh, one principle that is called uh, svadhyaya actually we will have a, a workshop here soon about that which is uh, self-study like i told you if you study yourself and you know yourself better then it will just make everything easier uh, for you and for others because if you know yourself better uh, you will be happier and you will um, inflict less um, sadness or uh, negative things on others and for example one of the the things that you're supposed to do to do for others um, is uh, non-violence so like in many cultures you just you should try to not hurt other people not to steal their belongings or not to steal their time. 
I'm not very good with time, as I told you, <laughs> as I told you before, before that uh, podcast. And yeah, that was interesting for me, actually, that concept that being late in, in yogic eyes is uh, stealing someone else's time. And I think that was the real change for me that I stopped being late so much. Now I'm just late uh, some of the time. <laughs> Well, I think Portuguese people really need to hear this <laughs> because we will start things very late. And uh, yeah, I think really think more people should have that perspective that when they're being late, they're making someone wait and that time is not coming back ever. Yeah. So I'm surprised you became more like that in Portugal because I told you have the opposite influence, which is making you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it has nothing to do with Portugal. It was just my own process of understanding that. And then after a while, when I was practicing yoga, I started to uh, have more interest in the philosophy and the history. So I studied things uh, more and then I discovered that. And yeah, it was just something that I thought, wow, this <laughs> is it, it's actually stealing. I, I didn't think yes. about that before. Um, yeah, but, but going back to your question, I think personally, I believe, and it might sound a bit, um, bad. I don't think you should focus on what you should do for other people. I think each one of us should focus on ourselves, trying to be as happy as possible. And that will be the thing that will, uh, benefit others as well. Yeah. Uh, as you said, is uh, again, I... Uh, a, a person I admire a lot is Jordan Peterson. I don't know if you know if you know it. What's the name? Jordan Peterson. Mm, okay. If you don't know, but uh, I was thinking, and I think he thinks very well, and he's thought a lot about psychology and how to bring out the best version of yourself and to manifest it into the world. And one of the conclusions he reached was that before you try to change others or before you try to make the world a better place at a big scale, you should start at the smallest scale possible. And the smallest scale is individuality. So we have to do the best for ourselves to fix our life first, to make sure that everything we're doing is, or to make sure that we're not doing something that will hurt us or will harm us. It's also an idea that you express. So yeah, that whatever we are doing is something that will lead to a better life for us. And then when you have yourself in, in order, you would kind of start to move out in external layers. Okay, so you fix yourself and then you fix the person, the people exactly next to you, like your family. So you try to be the best you can to your family. And then if your family, if everything is good, if your family, if all the relationships are repaired, you try to be a bit better to the community in which you are inserted. And you go through all these layers before you try to, for instance, to become a prime minister. And you don't know what, who you, who the hell you are and what you want for life. So if you don't know who you are and what you want, and how can you expect to manifest that to a big scale, like a national scale? Nice. Uh, yeah, just, uh, just came no, to I, I like this idea. And actually it reminds me of the fact that um, nowadays in this modern world, we have, um, like for me, I'm, I'm a yoga teacher and there are lots of yoga teachers and um, we get paid for that. Like we go to a class, we get paid for that. The, t the students pay money to to participate in class. But uh, traditionally, before in India or other in, uh, countries in that area, um, a yoga teacher or a guru or whatever it is, uh, they would not get paid. 
they would have a community and each one of those yoga teachers would serve their community just to help them with whatever mm-hmm. they can and they will not get paid they will just um, get taken care of by, by their communities so maybe some people will bring them food some others will help them fix some things around the house or if they had a home um, so yeah it's a different concept and it's very very interesting it's community it's the same well I think the idea is the same like you give you give something in your time but you give your time in a valuable way and then you are given something back in return yeah and we do that the modern equivalent is you give your time and your experience and you get money back yeah but at the end at the end it's the same thing you get something back yeah. like love from the people around you yeah I don't think I don't see it as a bad thing I think all of us are doing should be doing things that we're good at and that we're enjoying and yeah of course there there should be something in in return yeah I don't see it as a, as a no, bad it's, thing. It's a beautiful way to put it. Like you do something for the community and the community creates conditions for you to thrive and continue doing what you're doing. Yeah. That's a really community. beautiful way to put it. Yeah. The community is supporting you, you back for yeah. supporting them. You, yeah. you mentioned, well, many words from yoga, all these words I cannot remember because they're so different it's from okay. mine. It's okay. And also, I, if I recall correctly, the type of yoga you teach was vinyasa yoga? Yes. So what is it exactly and how many types of yoga are there? Well, um, okay, so there are endless types of uh, yoga, styles of yoga. Um, I, I can say that there are maybe um, four or five major ones that you have pr- probably heard of. Uh, there is um, Ashtanga Yoga, which is um, a series, a four series of practices that you go through. Um, and it's basically more or less the same thing every, every practice. Um, you have Hatha Yoga, which is originally actually the, the only form of yoga that was physical is Hatha. This is the physical, the, the asanas. Um, but today you have so many others, like things I have never heard of as a teacher also, uh, because again, you can take it to wherever you want. And um, my style of yoga is uh, vinyasa. This is what I studied, but it's not always what I teach, uh, because again, I think it depends on the, on the student and on the time, maybe um, what you should be doing. And vinyasa is a, is a flow. It's a, it's a style of yoga that uh, you move from one pose to the other in a way of flowing. So it's more fluid instead of just, okay, now stand up and do this other thing. Now sit down and do this other thing. So there's more of a flow that some people connect to that, some people don't. Um, and vinyasa is also the style but it's also that movement that maybe you remember from class yes, that it's yes. a combination of like four poses that you move from a plank uh, to uh, half of a like push-up position and then you open your chest up to what's called uh, upward facing dog and then you go back to downward facing dog uh, downward facing downward facing dog is that pose that looks like a pyramid more or less um, But again, it, it's not so important because I really believe that you have 
endless types of yoga, endless styles, because each one of us needs a different practice. So you can take some different components from yoga, some breathing exercises, some poses, and you can make Andre yoga at home. You can choose whatever you want to do. Um, yeah, and the style is just, again, to try different experiences so you can observe yourself in different situations. That's how I feel. But maybe if you'll ask an Ashtanga teacher or um, someone from India, they would say that, no, this, this is the one real style of yoga. And it actually it brings me back to that time before I, I went to India once. I plan to get there again. But before I went there... I had, um, I had a teacher, I was in this uh, course about uh, yoga, traditional yoga and about uh, the history of India. And before I went to India, I asked my teacher, I told her, if I want to find the, the real, like the most um, ancient uh, form of yoga, like the real yoga, where, where should I go in India? And then she told me, and it was pretty, like, I was a bit sad <laughs> about that in the beginning. She said, you cannot, you cannot find it. Like you, Kim, from Israel uh, right now, you cannot find it. Why? The real yogis, the real yoga teachers are, like I told you, they don't get paid for, for that. Some of them are uh, staying in the mountains, uh, sleeping in caves, and are not really connected to society and they are definitely don't speak English and you will not be able to communicate with them and also they will not just want to teach you one class they will want to take you to a journey so it's impossible for me to actually get to a real yoga teacher and learn real yoga also because yoga have changed so much now it's something like more modern, more that is uh, related to to the physical body. But in the beginning, the physical aspect was a very tiny portion of what mm -hmm. yoga is. It was more about the, um, the practices that, like, like in religion, like you have to clean yourself, you have to um, surrender to God, you have to... Uh, all of those things that are not what now we think is yoga. So these guys still exist? are in the mountains, very secluded from everyone else. I haven't seen them, but uh, there are, uh, yeah, uh, people that live like that, wow. apparently. <laughs> uh, well, in a way, it's not surprising. Well, for of course, for us modern minds, it seems very alien. It sounds almost stupid, like, how would you isolate yourself? But the human spirit works in ways that we do not understand. And another thing that comes to mind was about these old, old religions much before these 2000 years, like thousands and dozens of thousands of years into our deep history to the past. Some uh, traditions that are still manifested nowadays are, I think, in Tibet, around that area of the world, like Southern Asia, is some people that I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to say something wrong, but some people will be locked in a house in a dark room for a stupid amount of time, like 14 years. So they will go kind of young and they come out just kind of middle-aged. Or they go middle-aged and they come out old, like really long amount of time. Imagine yourself 14 years in a dark room. And they do this. And uh, this was a form of meditation, I assume. 
I don't know, but uh, they would come out and then I would uh, express their teachings and their advice and what they learned to the community. And they will just tell the community how to behave. And this, this almost does not make sense to us. It's completely unbelievable. So I'm not surprised to see that the quote-unquote real yoga, because maybe it's not real, maybe it's each person's journey, so there's no real, not truth, not false. But uh, I'm not surprised to see this kind of spiritualist, spiritualist to, to go ways that normally we would not, never, not even think of going, like staying away from everything, just go to a cave, live in a cave, get some fruits for some people and just want to embark someone on that journey for a long, long time, not just a one-time class. Yeah. Yeah, it is crazy to to think about that just because where we're coming from, we were not raised like that, so it's it can look um crazy for us. But uh it's all a matter of where you're coming from and what you need at that moment because maybe for some people even sitting down and closing their eyes for five minutes, that can look crazy. Like what are you doing wasting those precious five yes. minutes uh, it all depends on who you are and what you've been through uh, up to this moment so I I don't know I cannot understand that but I can understand that maybe some other people can need that this is what they yeah. need right now um, but in yeah, the end, but it's how a did how was you said you went to India but how was your journey like you were born in Israel then I was born in Israel. Yeah, maybe this is something I should have done in the beginning. <laughs> um, yeah, I was born in Israel and I only moved here uh, almost six years ago. Here in Portugal. Here in Portugal. Uh, Porto, Portugal, uh, six years ago. And it was, for me, it was, yeah, I was looking for something else. I guess I needed uh, that part of my journey to be completely different. I needed to step out of my comfort zone I needed to try something new and that's just what I needed. It doesn't mean that someone like me in Israel that didn't move here is making a mistake. This is just their own way. Um, and for me, it was really good and I, I love Portugal and it gave me a lot more free time to focus on yoga and actually focus on myself, which sounds kind of weird to focus on yourself. Like before when I told you that I sometimes had three hours practice, uh, it sounds <laughs> like you focus on yourself for three hours. <laughs> That's not very productive and not very good and maybe a little bit uh, narcissistic, but uh, I, I truly believe that each one of us has to do that. And it's not just that. For you, it can be five minutes and for me, it can be three hours, but we all have to respect where we're coming from, not just the name of the state, but what we have experienced mm -hmm. in the beginning of our lives and just try to find a balance. Maybe someone that grew up in the most modern place and all had just materialistic stuff all their lives, maybe they do need to get into a cave and not go out for <laughs> 10 years. It depends on, yeah, on who you are yeah. and what you need. So you were always living in Israel before you came to Portugal? Yeah, always. Oh, that's surprising. And uh, did you go somewhere for yoga training? Because I, this is like you need to get certified, right? Yeah, you need to get certified. I didn't go there, actually. I had a little um, 
like experience with the different teachers so I in the beginning when I started yoga I didn't think that I have to get uh, certified I thought that this is just um, a hobby like something that is a tool for me and that maybe I can share with others that I was sharing with uh, friends and family and I never thought it would be something that I will do as a profession I never thought <laughs> that this will be my my job and I never saw myself also teaching in in a studio and this is why I like mana so much because this is the first place the first place that is uh, more similar to studio that I taught in and it's not a studio and I'm saying it in a good way <laughs> it's not a yoga studio I, I hope they are not defining themselves like that but for me it's um, just an amazing space to practice yoga in um uh, yeah this is actually something i want to talk to you about because you mentioned this previously when we spoke some other time that this was not a studio and i was surprised because i have no idea what is a studio so what do you see as a yoga studio okay so again this is just a matter of definition and maybe it is a studio and i'm sorry if i'm saying that it's not <laughs> uh, but for me a studio and i'm saying it kind of um in a negative way, um, but it can also be something good. For me, uh, to go like to a gym and to have a class that maybe has uh, 30 people that don't get enough attention from the teachers. Sometimes a student doesn't need attention at all, but I, me as a teacher, I would like to have the ability to give attention to all of the students yeah, if they need like it. Because your classes are like four, three, four, five Here people, right? Here it's a really small, small place, a small space that we have up to 12 students. Um, but yeah, the, what I like the most actually and what I wanted to, to do in the beginning was only private classes. I now teach groups, but I feel like in a private class you can uh, just really get what you need. And uh, you can also do that in a full class with 10 other people. So private is one-to-one? One, just one student with one teacher. Uh, but you can have a private class with uh, other students as well because you don't have to do everything that the teacher does. You can just do whatever you want to do. So getting the instructions and maybe follow them and maybe not. Uh, but yeah, as a teacher, it's something that is important for me to at least be able to give attention to mm -hmm. all of the students if they need it and so yeah, a studio has this connotation of mass produced place and yeah and also in your term in your perspective yeah and also on the teacher's side um in a studio usually it doesn't have to be like that but you have uh many classes per day so you can have maybe six classes per day and Maybe other people can do that. I don't know. I hope so. But for me, I know that I will not be able to give my best for six six times in a <laughs> row, six yeah, yeah. classes in a row. Uh, so that's what I mean. But again, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. And maybe some people only have access to those studios or maybe they only have access to YouTube videos. It is. It's all good. Like whatever you choose, it's good. It's just a matter of getting to know yourself and then doing the best you can in this platform that you have right. in a class okay, or yeah. YouTube, I whatever you want. I think now I understand. Yeah. What do you mean like as a space, this man as a space and not this, yeah, this factory what, what line? Meant, this factory yeah. line. 
Thank you for asking because maybe I need to re-explain that. Yeah, I mean that in a, in yeah, a yeah, good yeah. way. I mean that yeah. the intention here is the right intention and it's just not, not just about having more students and more classes. It's really about giving yeah. some value. But, but anyway, to continue the training, did you topic, did you train somewhere abroad because you were living in, in Israel, but then you went to India? So what did you yeah, go to, to India? I just went to India last year and I had uh, more or less about a month uh, training and it was very interesting uh, because it was pretty different than everything I have done before. Um, because these days when you take a, a course or when you go to a class, uh, it's more modern. And I thought I would find something different, but... It was actually not as different as I thought, but still different. Were you um, disappointed in some way <coughs> with the kind of journey you had? Yes, actually, I came back uh, pretty disappointed. Now I'm not, like, looking back, I'm not disappointed. I think I had exactly the, the experience that I needed. But yeah, I was disappointed. I thought that because India is the origin of yoga, I thought it would be, I thought it would blow my mind <laughs> and it didn't. So I think it's just a matter of uh, expectations. I had the wrong expectations, I guess. Um, but it doesn't matter because if you go through an experience and you are willing to be open enough to maybe re-experience it in your mind, then you can study whatever you need to, to learn. Um, so I studied that, I, I learned that my expectations were not real, like not something that I can find in this world. But I also learned that I focused on the wrong thing. Like I should have focused on just experiencing that, whatever it is, and not expecting that I would uh, have more advanced uh, poses over there or, or like learn philosophy that I never heard of before because eventually it's all it's all the same like if you choose to be like we talked before if you choose to be mm -hmm. Christian or Jew Jewish or whatever it is you all we all have those uh, sets of uh, principles and we all have to go through a journey um, and I feel like lots of the things that we're going through are, at the end of the day, it's the same. Maybe, maybe it looks different, but... Maybe yeah. one of your problems is that you didn't take 10 years of your life to go to some mountain and just live there and connect. <laughs> Which is something that I would love to do. I don't know if I would benefit from that because it's all about you choose something and on the other side, there's something that you didn't choose. So just about choosing something. Yeah, I would love to continue the conversation with you, but we are kind of running out of time because we have a short, not short, but I don't want to use adjective, but we have an allocated time that Mana very kindly gave to us. Before, yes. we, before we begin, I just wanted to condensate, maybe you could condensate, like for people that are listening that are maybe starting yoga or maybe people that are starting their journey to become yoga teachers, what, based on all your experience, all your reflections, all your learning, what will, could be the advice you would give to them? That's a great question. Uh, so many advices I can give, but at the end of the day, what I also, before coming here, 
the the message I wanted to send is that uh, yoga is many things. Uh, you can look at it from different perspectives and choose different aspects of yoga. But I think if you just decide to do it, if you have started it and you don't have something else that is really um, good for you, so you can just do it and decide to stick with it, even if some things doesn't feel very like they they make sense. Uh, because you can always change the practice a little bit. If you tried Ashtanga and you don't like it, you can try something else. And I'm placing the aside the fact that if you don't like it, maybe it's a sign that you should do it. But, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but what, what I mean is that yoga uh, originally was something very specific, and now it has the potential to be so many things. And you can definitely be benefiting from Uh, getting to know yourself better. So I think this is the most important thing that if you even if you're having a hard time or a hard class or a class that you define as bad, just keep going, keep breathing, keep being kind to yourself, and that's really all you need. that's that's wonderful. Uh, thank you so much for your time, for your efforts. And uh, I really appreciate it. I don't see also this conversation like as the end because at the be a bit earlier you asked me how do I see you if as a teacher, but I think in the end I try to see other people as just human beings who are on their own path exploring themselves, exploring them and themselves <laughs> to recover that distinction. Like, but just uh, I think we in the end we're all clueless about how to behave in life and how to conduct in life and we're all like desperately trying to find a way that makes a little sense that not everything is chaotic and and is suffering so we try to make our best and i see i see you as someone who's been in this long journey and who's probably meditated more than average about how to best conduct yourself in the world so i see also this kind of conversation as a stepping stone into that journey of trying to understand things a bit better and trying to To comp not compare, but to, to engage with others in a way to expand your broad sc your scope and to expand your perspective, so to be open to as many ideas as possible. So I hope that we continue to talk about in the future and continue to share experience. I just wanted to really appreciate uh, being here and being in the moment, as you say many times, and for also doing something that you were not comfortable with doing, because I believe this is your fourth first podcast. So yes. <laughs> So also congratulations to you for doing something that is not um, obvious to you and something that is new. You're also very brave and thank you very much. Thank you very much. And again, thank you for saying that, that last thing you said because you're right. It is just everything I said here is just my opinion and maybe if we'll do the same conversation in a year from now, I will think other things <laughs> <laughs> completely. So yeah, just take what you, what you feel like taking from that. Yeah. And thank you very much for the opportunity. It was a great honor. Thank you very much and bye-bye, everyone. Thank you.